0: We're at our, our I think this might be our last installment, but I'm really not sure because I still have next week uh, before I take a little break. And I think this might be it, but it might not. So, you know, how do you like that? Um, perhaps you can relate to this, though. Once upon a time ago, I used to dread reading the Bible. I used to dread opening the Bible. And here's the catch. I was a campus minister. Just opening the Bible for me at this stretch, and it was a long stretch. It was a stretch that went on for a long season. Opening the Bible for me was a major feat of courage. The reason why I didn't stop reading the Bible is because I actually would have felt worse about stopping to read than how I did when I opened it. So I could have stopped, but that would have been absolutely even worse. So I trudged on and I just read the Bible through gritted teeth. So what in the world was going on or what in the world goes on when this happens? Here's what happens. When I open the Bible, every character in the Bible, every storyline in the Bible, every statement of truth in the Bible, every depiction of reality in the Bible, every wise saying in the Bible, every poetic image in the Bible, every attribute of God in the Bible, every ethic, every law, Every exhortation, every command, every warning, every condition, every holy hero in the Bible. Every dude that ever worshipped in the Bible. So that eliminates all the Psalms. Every time I opened the Bible, I experienced it as a measurement. And I was not measuring up. But I tried, and I tried, and I tried. And those that live with me know I have a lot of try in me. And please hear me, it wasn't because I was trying to try and do this apart from God's help or apart from the Holy Spirit. Oh no, quite contrary to that. I was begging God to help begging the Holy Spirit to work. I would beg God for more of God. I would beg God for more devotion to God, more commitment to God, more worship of Him, more knowing Him, more trusting Him, more loving Him. I would beg Him to change me more, sanctify me more, fill me more with the Spirit, make me a more loving person, Deal with the issues and the sins in my life. I would beg him for more spiritual power and ministry effectiveness. I wanted to change the world. I wanted to use me to change the world. I wanted an impact. I begged him for all of this. When I read a story like David and Goliath, I longed to be like David. I longed to be a man after God's own heart. I begged God to be a man after God's own heart. But in reality, I was not like David. I was like Goliath. Reading the Bible can be spiritually exhausting. Perhaps you can relate, one or two of you out there. Today we continue our mini-series on the mystery of life change, the human obsession to have our lives change. This is not a phenomenon just inside the church. This is a phenomenon that's worldwide, every culture. Everybody is obsessed with life change. Even those that hunker down in the middle of nowhere and have no contact with anybody because they're so afraid of it. They just shut themselves off to the world from it. Everyone obsesses over life change. Today, we're going to continue by addressing the number one problem plaguing Christians today in the church. Spiritual exhaustion. Please stand for the hearing of God's word.
1: Romans 7, 1 through 13. And if she marries another man, she is not an adulteress. Likewise, my brothers, you have also died to the law through the body of Christ so that you may belong to another, to him who has been raised from the dead in order that we may bear fruit for God. For while we were living in the flesh, our sinful passions aroused by the law were at work in our members to bear fruit for death. But now we are released from the law Having died to that which held us captive, so that we serve in the new way of the spirit and not in the old way of the written code. What then shall we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. For I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin... Galatians 3:19 through 26. Why then the law it was added because of transgressions until the offspring should come to whom the promise had been made and it was put in place through angels by an intermediary. Now an intermediary implies more than one, but God is one. Is the law then contrary to the promises of God? Certainly not. In order that we might be justified by faith. But now that faith has come, we are no longer under a guardian. For in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. This is the word of the Lord.
0: So, Lord, we ask that you would grant uh, the nuances of these passages to become clear to our minds, and would you do so in a way that is so enlivening and so setting free, uh, there would be a release amongst all of us from the spiritual exhaustion, because there is spiritual exhaustion in every single one of us this morning, whether we know you or not. So Lord, would you grant, would you grant release for the sake of Jesus, and it's in his name we pray, amen. All right, just to let you a little insight, sermon preparation for me is like trying to climb Mount Everest every week. Uh, It's a demanding journey with unpredictable weather, uh, and it requires stepping over a body or two along the way. Um, So the title that you have in your bulletin, it, it sounded really good on Wednesday, Don't Feed the Beast, but by the time Friday turned around and the unpredictability of the journey happened, it has now turned to spiritual exhaustion, so you could ignore that particular title. Today we're going to look at the cause of spiritual exhaustion and the cure of spiritual exhaustion. Pretty straightforward. So what's the cause of spiritual exhaustion? I'm going to give you the answer just to be clear. I'm going to give you the answer so there's no confusion. I want to give you the answer so there's no temptation to run into any sort of confusion or sideline it or tangent uh, and miss it. Here's the reason. Here's the reason you are spiritually exhausted. Here's the reason you have any ounce of spiritual exhaustion in you. It is because, are you ready? You are living under the law. So let's pray and let's go home. Because I'm hungry. I want you to listen to the language of the text we just read. And feel them for the reality that they are. Experience them for the reality that they are. Take off your academic head. Thank you. And feel it. In one of Romans, a relationship with the law is binding. Binding. The law is Binding on a person as long as he lives. A binding experience is spiritually exhausting. In Romans 7, 2-4, a relationship with the law is described as an abusive marriage. Don't miss what Paul's saying. You and I come into this world married to the law. This is how intimate your relationship is. You are one flesh with the law. The two have become one. You are married to the law when you come into this world. Now, Genesis 1-3 through talks about why that's the case. Romans talks about why that's the case. The short answer is this, is that the law has been spoken into your very DNA. It has been spoken into your being. It is the mere fact that you're a human being, that you are an image bearer before God. The law, Paul would say, is written on you. It's all over you. You are married to it. And it's an abusive marriage. It's that personal, it's that powerful, it's that life altering for you. This abusive marriage is spiritually exhausting. In Romans 7 6, the relationship with the law is described as being controlling, enslaving. But now we are released from the law, having died to that which held us captive. We needed to be released so that we might serve in a new way of the Spirit. Not in the old way, the slaved way of the written code. Being controlled. Have you ever been controlled? Is spiritually exhausting. For me personally, the worst thing you could do to me is try to control me. I will eat you alive. I'm, I'm just being honest. Romans 7, 7 through 9, a relationship with the law is a weapon in the sin's hand. A weapon. Listen to this. But the sin, seizing an opportunity through the law, the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. For apart from the law, the sin lies dead. But when the commandment came, the sin came alive and I died my word, being beaten down by sin over and over and over again is spiritually exhausting. In Romans 7.10, a relationship with the law is described as living with a serial killer who kills you again and again and again and again and again. I mean, listen, this: the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. It killed me present tense continually. Running for your life is spiritually exhausting. Now we go to Galatians because we had to get in there. Galatians 3.22, a relationship with the law is described as imprisoning. But the scripture, the law scripture that was just talked about 19 through 21, all leading up to 22, but the law of Scripture imprisoned everything under sin. Spiritual prison is exhausting. And in case we missed it in Galatians 3.23, the very next verse, he says the same thing for emphasis. Now, before faith came, we were held captive under the law. Imprisoned. Spiritual prison is exhausting. And then finally we get to Romans 6.12, where the relationship with the law is summarized with what we just said. It's summarized as living under Under, under the law. For sin will have no dominion over you because you are not under the law, but under grace. What is the cause of spiritual exhaustion? The answer from the Bible overwhelmingly from Genesis to Revelation is, You're living under the law. And some of you are thinking, Jeff, you don't know me because I don't give a rip darn about the Ten Commandments. It's called the traditional law. Um, Who cares about them, honestly? I don't give a rip about them. Uh, So I'm free from all this psychological exhaustion that Paul's talking about, right? No. No, you're not. Let me explain. I want to explain it this way. First, though, you are right that the churched person, the churched people, If a church person tries to activate the Christian life, meaning they try to activate their relationship with God, they try to activate getting close to God, they try to activate feeling his love, they try to activate feeling connected to him, they try to activate knowing him, they try to activate trusting him, they try to activate... Or they try to activate their sanctification. They try to activate more holiness, more of the Holy Spirit, more love, more fruits of the Spirit, more putting away sin. Or they try to activate their spiritual power, more blessings, more ministry effectiveness, more power to put sin to death, more whatever it is. If someone tries to activate the Christian life, relying upon the traditional law, the Ten Commandments, you will always be spiritually exhausted. Always. Now let's just add a little bit more to this because there's a little more nuance to this. Many of us in the church don't care about the Ten Commandments anymore. I mean, the traditional Ten Commandments, who cares? So those have been pushed aside. And so what's taken its place is now what we could call more spiritually progressive laws. Uh, So let's add them. They're more popular today. We'll say these, these spiritual progressive laws. We use those to try to activate the Christian life. Laws like surrendering or being a fully devoted follower of Jesus or yielding all your life to him. How do you do that? And then the other is like applying biblical principles or activating spiritual secrets. If you could just get the secret and know it, it's called Gnosticism. All of a sudden, you've opened up a whole new world of activating the Christian life. If you could just activate these 10 steps, you can be delivered from whatever. If you could activate, tap into the mysterious movements of the Holy Spirit, you can activate the Christian life. If you follow the progressive spiritual laws and try to use them to activate the Christian life, you too will be spiritually exhausted. But I don't need to tell you that. You already know that. You feel it deep in your bones. So why all this spiritual exhaustion with the traditional law, Ten Commandments, and any progressive spiritual laws like some of the ones I mentioned and the ones that are new that are coming out in the Christian bookstores even as I speak? Here's the answer. Why? Because no law can activate a life. No law can activate No law can justify a life. No law can sanctify a life. No law can connect you to God. No law can make you feel His love. No law can change your life. No law can connect you to the Holy Spirit. No law can activate the Christian life. None whatsoever. Living under the law is an exercise in futility. It's an exercise of anxiety. It's an exercise of exhaustion. It's an exercise of depression. So you're thinking, I don't give a darn about the Ten Commandments and I don't give a darn about all those spiritual gymnastics you just mentioned. Who cares? So I'm free I'm free from the psychological exhaustion that Paul's talking about, right? And my answer to you is only if you're not trying to measure up to the law of thinness or the law of your parents' approval or the law of being a good mom or the law of being a Decent human being. Or the law of being married before you're 30 years old. Or the law of if you're married, you better have children. If you don't have them, you better adopt them. Only if you're not trying to measure up to the law of being liked in person and on social media. Or the law of being busy, you know, working hard, being productive, being impressive, getting a lot done, being more than you are. Only if you're not trying to measure up to the law of needing to be right and comfortable. Personally, socially, economically, racially, culturally, politically, educationally, did I miss any? Only if you're not trying to measure up to the law of eating healthy. No carbs, no preservatives, no sugar, no fast food, no fat unless you're keto, no red meat unless you're paleo. Stand-up comedian Jim Gaffin tells a story of bumping into an old friend at McDonald's. Oh, my word, I love this. And uh, it catches both of them off guard. They're like, ah! You know, like, oh! So the other friend speaks first and says, uh, I'm only here for the 99-cent ATM. Why are you here, Jim? And Jim, trying to collect himself, completely anxious about being obsessed and addicted to Big Macs, says, uh, uh, I'm only here to meet a prostitute. <laughs> Definitely not to eat anything, heaven forbid. What is the cause of spiritual exhaustion? What is it? Living under the law. Living under the law. So what's the cure for spiritual exhaustion? Do you see it in the text? It's all over the text. There's an ancient Native American uh, parable about a grandfather and a grandson that are walking in the woods, and the grandfather wants to teach the grandson about how to be a good person. And so the grandfather says to the son, and many of us, most of us have probably heard the son, listen, there are two wolves inside of you. You have a good wolf, and you have a bad wolf. And they are at war with each other. The grandson thinks about it. And all these questions start turning around in his little head, right? And then very thoughtfully, he asked the grandfather, grandfather, which wolf wins? The one you feed, son. The one you feed. According to Romans and according to Galatians and really according to the whole Bible, a Christian is a split self. A Christian is a conflicted self. A, conflict, a Christian is a divided self. A Christian is one person with two natures. He has the nature of the old self and now a new self in him. She has the sinful nature of and now a newly created nature. He has this Adamic self, and then she has this self in Jesus. If Luther was here, there's this sinful self, and then there's this justified self. If the, if the Native American grandfather was here, he'd say there's a bad wolf, and there's a good wolf in a Christian. But this is only the case for a Christian. If we're not a Christian, we don't have this conflict going on. We're one nature in one person, and that nature is only night. We're calling it a zombie in these parts. Physically alive, spiritually dead. The reason why Paul spends so much time, look how much ink he spills. I mean, if you were reading Romans, you ought to just read it this summer. It's phenomenal. Look how much ink he spills. Romans 6, 14 through 23. Romans 7, 1 through 13. And then in Galatians, he spends another two chapters just talking about not being under the law anymore, but being under grace. Not being married to the abusive spouse of the law, but being married to the better spouse of Jesus. Romans 7. He spends all this time talking about it because living under the law, living under the law functionally, experientially, living under the law practically, living under its demands and its measurements, its accusations, its judgments, its sense to drive, to prove yourself, and to perform, all of that's going on that the law does and how it messes with us. Living under the law is practically feeding the beast. feeding the bad wolf. Living under the law is feeding the old self. It's feeding the sinful nature. It's feeding the beast. The only way to make some headway in spiritual exhaustion or headway in any sin in your life and I'm not equating the two, I'm just trying to Do an and, a conjunction. The only way to make headway with spiritual exhaustion in your life or with any sin in your life is to starve the beast by not feeding it the law. Oh man, I want to say so much here, but I have to refrain. Or to say it positively, the only way to make headway with spiritual exhaustion in your life, with any sin in your life, the only way to make any headway with spiritual electricity and spiritual liveliness and vitality and energy in your life, the only way to get sanctification, renewal, life change, the only way to experience God and connect with Him on a functional, practical level, the only way to get spiritual power, the only way to have ministry effectiveness and fruitfulness, the only way is to feed the new self grace. (laughs) Starve the beast. Don't feed it the law. Feed the new self grace. Changes everything. Functionally, experientially. It starts driving out and healing spiritual exhaustion. It starts giving a psychological wholeness and intactness to your thinking and your feeling and your willing and your desiring and your loving and your relating and your doing. It changes you. Paul says it this way, just in case you missed it. For sin will have no dominion over you. This means cosmically, yes, when you become a Christian, you... Are taken out of the realm of the dead, the sin, taken into a new realm to where now you're one person with two natures. That is a, you've been taken out, you're out of that dominion. That happens cosmically. Paul's referring to this cosmic transfer, but he's applying it practically, he's applying the definitive work in the present tense. So this is a functional way. He's saying, how does sin, spiritual exhaustion, have no dominion over you in real life? Functionally, experientially, you're thinking, you're feeling, you're doing, you're relating. The way you handle your career, the way you handle failure, the way you handle criticism, the way you relate to success and achievement, the way you work hard and do good works. How does it have no dominion over you? Paul continues, because you are not under the law, but under grace. In other words, starve the beast by not feeding it the law. Feed the new self by giving it grace. We could say it this way. Starve the beast by not feeding it good advice. Feed your new self in Jesus by giving it good news. What does this practically look like? Keller has a ministry called City to City. It's worldwide. It's all over the place. It's this whole philosophy of a gospel vision of life being pushed down into everything and church planning and churches all over the world, regardless of our particular tradition. He has a book. that's his manual. It's his training manual. It's called Grace. It's called Gospel in Life. Grace Changes Everything. He says genuine life change looks like this. Paul tells us that the bondage of sin is broken, and we could say, we could insert here, because in our context, we're saying spiritual exhaustion. So, Paul tells us that spiritual exhaustion, the bondage of spiritual exhaustion or sin is broken when we come out from under the law. When you functionally, practically begin to experience, believe the gospel of Christ's salvation work. You practically, experientially come out from under the law And believe the gospel changes everything. When you move away from a a works salvation, a self-justification, and a self-sanctification, come out from under that by believing in a Jesus salvation, in a grace salvation, in a grace justification, and a grace sanctification changes everything. He continues, only when we realize in a new way that we are righteous in Christ does sin and its power over us break. Why? Because all sin in its essence, in its DNA, if you cut it, it bleeds work salvation. If you cut it, it bleeds self-salvation. If you cut it, sin in its essence is trying to be your own savior. Sin in its essence is trying to earn and attain On your own, your own happiness, your own life, your own flourishing, your own identity, your own sense of value, your own meaning, your own singular significance, your own pleasure, your own beauty, your own comfort. And the first thing we do in doing that is we run to creation to do it. Romans 1 and 2. Sin will have no dominion over you experientially when you come out from under trying to earn your salvation and in this case, your sanctification and for most of us, the Christian life and move over to grace. Changes everything. Here's the deal. Jesus fulfilled the law for you. He fulfilled the traditional 10 commandments which means in all the spin-offs that come off of it, So all those spiritual laws we talked about, you know, I don't know, maybe some of them he fulfilled. Some of them aren't even laws, but they become laws because we are lawed people. It's in our DNA. So we'll make anything a law like the law of thinness or the law of capability or the law of an SAT score, right? Uh, Jesus fulfilled any law that measures you, any law that demands of you. Any law that accuses you, any law that condemns you and judges you, he fulfilled it. In other words, he became the law's curse. So when the law says, which it does say, whether it's thinness or your diet, you are always falling short when you step on the scale. Or it's a human being telling you that in person, as painful as that is. You are always falling short. And Jesus said, I fell the whole way for you. I became the curse. Your curse. He fulfilled the law's demand for perfection. This relentless measuring of you, this sense of what You're trying to measure yourself. You're trying to be okay. The relentless judgment and condemnation and shame you feel. He fulfilled the law's perfection. You are now perfect, righteous, complete. You get an image of it with the lamb. Like, remember what kind of lambs they had to take? Does it have any spots? No. Good, we can use it. You're spotless. Is there any blame whatsoever, any imperfection, any flaw in the sacrifice, the sacrificial animal? No, we can use it. You're now unflawed. Without wrinkle. You radiate righteousness because he is your righteousness. Come out from under the law and live. Starve the beast. Don't give him the law. Feed your true self. Give her grace.